0: Snatch the pebble from my hand. When you take the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. Coming to you from the Philadelphia area. weeks ago, we resumed our journey called Apprentices, which is a series of messages where we hear Jesus explaining what his followers looks like, how they act like, how his apprentices, how his disciples think like, and ultimately how they live like. And a couple of weeks ago, we had left off in John chapter 8, where Jesus says that if you continue in my word, You're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. And this morning in John chapter 15 is really a continuation of where we left off two weeks ago. John chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so, and then he says, prove to be my disciples. At the word of the Lord. Well, as I have explained many times in, in my time here at Westchester, it's, it's something that I like to um, say oftentimes for my own sake as I read the text is that oftentimes our greatest really mistake in reading scripture is we are a product of our own individual experiences. Sometimes we have a tendency of reading a text as if all of this had been written originally for American churches living in the 21st century. When in reality what we're doing as we read John chapter 15 is that we are eavesdropping on a heart-to-heart Jesus is having with his apostles. We are flies buzzing on the wall of an ancient city. What Jesus is doing here in John chapter 15, what he's speaking about is that he is trying to comfort his original followers and disciples because they are in a sense of a panic right now and of crisis mode. As Jesus has explained to them that soon I'm going to be going away from you. And so he's comforting them he he has washed all of their feet. He's broken bread and he's poured the cup of communion for the very first time in the upper room. And now as we come into John chapter fifteen, Jesus now is speaking about a vine. and it was quite a challenge for me in in really preparation of this message because I haven't spent a whole lot of, of my life around vineyards in ancient cities. I don't know about you, but you know, I grew up playing video games in the suburbs of Phoenix. And so I had to do a lot of homework as I got ready for this message. And yet, if you walked up and down the streets of Palestine in these days, Jerusalem had been full of vineyards. Just about wherever you had looked, there would have been vine trees with these enormous clusters of grapes, hanging off of the branches. Well, in our country, our symbol, our our national emblem is a bald eagle. And yet what the emblem was in ancient Palestine of Israel, of Jerusalem, was a vine tree that had clusters of grapes on it. Old Testament scripture, a vine tree is a metaphor of of God's nation, of the people of Jehovah. And that's because in Psalm 80, Israel is is personified as this exotic vine that God has brought out of Egypt, that, that he's planted in Jerusalem soil. It's a vine tree that is to bear fruit to all the other nations that are bordering it. And yet in Isaiah chapter 5, we see that that vineyard has now been destroyed. Jeremiah chapter 2, it has been desecrated. It has been reduced as God refers to it now as a wild vine. As a result of all of the rampant idolatry and injustice and violence and greed that had infiltrated Israel's hearts, that had watered down into that, uh, that soil of that vine tree and had polluted it. And so as Jesus speaks about vines and about vineyards here in John chapter 15, they absolutely would have understood all of these metaphors that he's using. And just as Moses stood at the burning bush and God said, I am God, I am who I am. Notice what Jesus is saying to these Jewish men as he says, I am the true vine itself. I am the the very emblem of you. I am the true vine, Jesus says. And what he's saying in so many other words is that there's only one way that you're going to be able to ever grow into um, be um, a flourishing truster of me. There's only going to be one reason why people will be able to look at you and to see righteousness and goodness emanating from your hearts. There's only one source of power and of holiness that, that we can ever tap into as the believers of Jesus Christ. and It does not come from a preacher like myself. But rather what the attitude is of his followers is that Jesus Christ is our preacher. I know it's true that I am sitting here right now, everybody hears my my voice bringing forth a message to our ears this morning. And yet in such a greater sense, I am seated alongside every single person as a child sitting at the feet of our teacher, Jesus Christ. You See, we are all shepherd in the pasture of the good shepherd. Or as Jesus says here in John 15, we are all branches that are connected to the vine in the tree. It does not come from a preacher and it doesn't come from a president either but rather what the attitude, what the mindset is of the follower of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is my president. And the Sermon on the Mount and love your neighbor as yourself and and wash one another's feet in service and in love towards one another, that is our constitution. That is the constitution of King of Kings, Lord of Lords, President of Presidents, Jesus Christ. And as a people who are so insistent on saying, well, I've got my rights, I've got my rights, and I'm going to claim them. uh, The rights of the Christian who is uh, um, an apprentice of Jesus Christ is I give up my rights. Every single day, Luke 9.23, that whoever wishes to come after me must give up their rights, must deny what they want must lift up the cross of self-denial every single day and die to our own desires so that we might live to what pleases God. And then Jesus says, if you can get around to that, then come and follow after me. It doesn't come from a preacher, it doesn't come from a president, and it doesn't come from our religious performance either. Rather, the only way that flourishing comes in the lives of the Christians is when we have a total a dependency upon his strength rather than our own is when we let go of a bootstrap method of doing everything on our own power and volition and we remove those sandals and those boots off of our feet when we pray when we live for Jesus because we recognize that the ground of discipleship is holy sacred sacrosanct ground And so what Jesus says to us, verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit automatically by itself, unless it abides in the vine, Jesus says, Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says in verse 6, He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they are then burned. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And yet he also says in verse 2 that I'm going to be a pruner of that fruit. You see, he also speaks about a vine dresser. And that vine dresser is God the Father. You see, the vine dresser is the one who owns the whole entire vineyard, whose job is to nurture and to trim that vine vine tree. The vine dresser feels a very deep-seated responsibility that that I need to to see that tree grow and to blossom and to flourish. And yet the only way that there's going to be a harvest, Jesus says, is that 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 branch has to be connected to the vine. So Jesus is saying to them as well as to us that it's only those who abide in me and my words abide in them who are truly my my followers and my disciples. I've spoken here and there about our dogs, Mika and Josie, and we love our dogs. They're our children, you know, so, so it's a big deal to us. And yet the thing about Mika and Josie, though, is that they are entirely dependent upon me. When they need something to eat, they can't just make their um, food automatically appear in their bowl. When they need water to drink, they can't just go into the kitchen, open up the refrigerator, pour water into their, their drinking bowl. When they need to go for a walk outside, they can't just let themselves out and then let themselves back in, but they come looking for me every single time. And whenever that happens, though, almost every single time that I feed them or that I give them water to drink, it's as if I am looking into a mirror of my own soul. Because as Jesus says, apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. We can't do anything without Jesus. You see, we are spiritually helpless apart from Christ. We are entirely dependent upon Jesus for our grace, for our mercy, for our forgiveness, for the words and for the ability and the actions to turn this world upside down for him. We're not doing any of that without him. And so as Jesus says that I'm going to, anybody who abides in me, I'm going to actually prune. That word prune, of course, means that I'm going to cleanse them. I'm going to remove whatever is preventing growth in in those grapes, in those clusters. And I think oftentimes, as God's branch on his tree, so oftentimes we are attached to all kinds of stuff that is erosive, that is decaying us spiritually, that is withering our apprenticeship of Jesus. And sometimes it might be struggles that are causing that, where we're still clinging to our past, or maybe we in our anxiety are living in the days which might not even come. Maybe we are, are heartbroken because we are still struggling with selfishness, perhaps. And yet other times, it is distractions that is causing that, that erosion where you're trying to have a conversation about Jesus and what the other person talks about, all they ever talk about is apocalyptic forecasting. It's trying to add this verse with that verse and put all of the clues together so that they can guess and surmise when the end of the world is going to be. For a lot of people in churches all across the world, it is enslavement to tradition to all these unwritten church rules that are being imposed upon other Christians. All of this stuff, it makes for chit-chat. And yet notice that none of these things can ever bring about transformation in the image of Christ. None of these things help us flourish as, as the followers of Christ Jesus. And yet as I had said a moment ago, I got a little bit I'm ahead of myself in my notes, but what Jesus is saying is that when the branch is no longer abiding in Jesus the vine, we have very solemn words in verse 2 where he says that, that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he will take away. And then in verse 6 where he says that if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and then, he says, burned. Jesus, what, what in the world does that mean for us? Well, we've got to remember that Jesus is saying all of this just moments after Judas Iscariot has gotten up in the upper room and has walked away, vanished into all of the darkness outside. Judas is is right now, as Jesus is saying all of this, he is betraying Jesus for money. And it reminds me so much of Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower, where he explains that, that all the seed that had been scattered over here, in this one spot, what he says there is that It's representative of people who believe for a short while. And yet very soon, they start getting choked by all of the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And they are the fruit that never comes to maturity. See, I believe this is what Jesus is speaking about, where he says that that in the sense of their discipleship, it is a branch that has withered. And now the branches are going to be gathered. It's going to be thrown into the fire. They are no longer a follower of mine because the cares and the riches of this world have choked it, have suffocated it. And What about the rest of us though? Now, I don't know about you, but John 15 has brought about a very tragic misunderstanding throughout my my life as a Christian. John chapter 15, for decades of my life as a Christian, was just one of those chapters that haunted me, that scared the living (laughs) daylights out of me, to put it in a nice way. In fact, this is, in 20 years of being a preacher, this is the very first time I have taught John 15 because of that. Where for a very long time, maybe until three or four years ago, what I thought was, well, well, Jesus is speaking about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit means conversions. Conversions mean that we have to be baptizing people left and right. And I'll never forget when I was a minister for a few years, I was saying stuff like, well, I've, I've been a minister for, for three years now, and I still haven't baptized anybody. And I kept it in the very back of my mind all the time that maybe it's just a matter of time before God just throws me away and throws me into the fire because I am not bearing the fruit of, of conversions and baptisms. Maybe my salvation is in jeopardy because of that. And it got a whole lot worse when I was in another church many years ago, and there was a man who had drilled it in my brain that if you're not baptizing X amount of people every single month of every single year, then you're not a true minister of the gospel. For that matter, you're not a true follower of Jesus for that matter either. And I think that there are a lot of Christians scattered throughout all kinds of churches who silently carry it with them a weight that, I've been a Christian for 26 years now. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been a member of this church for 53 years. And I am still struggling with sin. I'm still wrestling with with worry and with lust and with unforgiveness. And it's such a tragedy that so many people have quit following Jesus never to follow him ever again. Simply because they had a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. Or maybe because they were made to feel as if they didn't quite measure up to so-and-so in the church. And they walked away from Jesus absolutely exhausted of failing to live up to the expectations of religious perfectionism. It took me my whole entire life until two or three years ago to understand this, but there is good news though. And what the good news is, is that as Jesus says that you bear much fruit and prove to be my my followers, my apprentices, and my disciples, is that Jesus is not at all expecting or demanding religious perfectionism. You see, our salvation is not riding on whether or not we baptize 25% of the people who we meet. Us going to heaven is not incumbent upon whether or not we can quote the whole entire Bible frontwards to backwards. Praise God for that, amen? But rather what Jesus means is he says, bear much fruit. Yes, conversions will come here and there. Yet, regardless of if, we are baptizing them or not, or if other people are, is beside the point. What Jesus is speaking about when he says bear much fruit is that we learn to live with the love of Jesus in a world of hate. Is that we learn to live in a spirit of joy amidst an age of despair. Is that we have peace in the midst of worry, a sense of of long suffering and of a godly patience in a culture of hurry, 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 rush, 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 is that we have a kindness about us amongst a nation of cruelty, goodness when our tendency is to be corrupt, faithfulness in God and in our fellow men and in the church in a world of deceit, is that we are people who have gentle spirits in the midst of aggressiveness, And that we are a people who are known for their self-control in a time of self-indulgence. That is what it means to bear much fruit, my brothers and sisters. Jesus is telling his apostles that this world is going to hate you guys. There's going to be trouble and tribulation, and there's going to be death coming your way until your very last day on earth. And yet, if you will abide in me and let my words abide in you, in the depths of your soul, in your bones, you're going to bear much fruit in this world. You're going to become a fine wine that once was water, that that now is something that the world drinks in and says, taste and see that the Lord is good, and you are going to be the cup you are going to be the bottle of wine where i'm going to pop the cork effervescently and this world is going to see glimpses of heaven and jesus christ in you and me jesus says abide in me and we say well abide in jesus what does that mean i mean does it mean that we have a bumper sticker of a fish on our mazda or doesn't mean that occasionally in our prayers we say god bless america Is that what it means to abide in Jesus? No, what Jesus says is what it means to abide in me is keep following me. Keep believing that I am King, Lord Jesus. Continue trusting in my Lordship. Keep showing up day after day as my followers. And if you will do that, you guys just await your transformation. It's coming. And it absolutely blew my mind as it was explained to me a few years ago by a friend. Where he asked the question, if anybody knew how long it took for a vine tree to grow and to begin to produce grapes. And the answer is three years. It takes three years for a vine tree to begin growing clusters of grapes. Well, how long has Jesus been discipling these guys and these apostles? Three years. And they're going to need a lot more time than even that, though, as we know. Just like we need more time right now. Did you know that as Jesus says, Abide in me and bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples, that word prove means mainly to eventually become a disciple of Jesus it means to one day you will emerge as a follower who looks like me who thinks like me and who lives like me you see it's like the metamorph or it's like the big word metamorphosis of a butterfly it's like a vine tree when all the harvest has been coming in, but but until that day comes, it's not going to be instant, is it? It's not going to come overnight. And yet as a venter who I once heard said so well, that there can be no fine aged wine unless the grapes have been crushed. And there's a theologian whose name was here. Henry Nouwen, and what he said is that when we are crushed like grapes, we cannot even dream of the wine that we will one day eventually become. But we cannot become the fine wine of Jesus in a world dying of thirst until we are his grapes that have been crushed in the fermentation process of adversity, of tribulation of repentance where we let go of sin as we grow up in Jesus. I was listening to a song on the radio just a few days ago, and it brought the biggest smile to my face. Where the artist is at the very top of his genius, of his craft. It's just effortless now as he he performs his song. And at the very end of the song, you could just hear him throw his head back and laugh in the studio. And he just says, wow. Wow. And what I took that to mean at least is that, wow, I I am so glad that I did not quit when when my career got tough. I'm so glad that I did not quit when, when I was being booed off of a stage early on in my career. I'm so glad that I had a fan base of supporters who were patient with me as I learned how to be an entertainer and I learned the craft of show business. And yet that is so much more true as as his as the disciples of Jesus Christ, though. Where one day we see the Apostle John walk into a Samaritan village along with with Jesus and the Apostles. And a Samaritan village rejects Jesus. And James and his brother John say, Jesus, will you give us permission to rain down fire and brimstone on these people? They wanted to cause another Sodom and Gomorrah judgment on on all of these Samaritans who they hated. You see, John in this Era of his life, he was called the son of thunder for his anger and for his vitriol. And yet we fast forward later on at the end of John's life, and John is writing 1 John now. And the guy who was once called the son of thunder, who wanted to, to kill his enemies and to burn their eyes out. Now John is the apostle of love somehow as First John nears its completion and John reads it, I just imagine him throwing his head back and laughing and saying, Wow, I can't believe God used me to write that letter. And yet before he became that version of John, he had to be crushed like a grape. He had to let go of all of that hatred of his enemies, of, of the Samaritan people. I think about the Apostle Peter as just moments after Jesus says all of this, what is Peter doing in the courtyard? I swear to God, I never heard of Jesus, you guys. Nobody failed Jesus in the Gospels more than Simon Peter. And yet he kept showing up. And we fast forward and we come into the book of Acts and now Peter is the one who has the keys to the kingdom. He's the one who is proclaiming the gospel for the very first time to Jewish and Gentile ears. He's walking into cities and just his shadow is healing people of their diseases that they've had their whole entire lives. I picture Peter throwing his head back and saying, wow, I can't believe there are Gentiles in the church now living as one with Jews. I can't believe God is doing that through me. And yet Peter had to be crushed like a grape before he could do that. It's true of the Apostle Paul that as he is planting churches all over the place, he's a messenger of Jesus Christ now. It's like he could have said that I thought I knew God before as a Pharisee. I thought that I had experienced God, but I hadn't seen anything yet. I didn't know anything about God, but before he could have done that, he had to be crushed like a grape on the road to Damascus long before he got to Mars Hill. There's not a week that goes, goes by as a minister where I feel like throwing my, my head back at some point and saying, Wow, I can't believe that he, I mean, of all people, of all mouths, he is using me to proclaim this message. These words coming out of my my mouth are not my words. These are His words. Wow. And every last one of you can also do that. As you follow Jesus too, you can say, wow. As we marvel at what He's doing in our lives, giving the world glimpses of, of more of Christ and less of who we used to be. And so Jesus' call to us this morning is, bear much fruit. And I want you to, um, as um, as you bear much fruit, prove to be my followers and my disciples. So what I want to invite us to in the days ahead, first of all, just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath and understand that the fermentation of the soul is nothing instant. And the harvest of the vine tree does not come overnight. And yet Jesus is calling out to us this morning, but just stick around. Keep beginning your mornings, crying out to me in prayer as you sit with me at your table. Keep drawing near to me and await your transformation. It's coming. If we will do that, we will find that that we ourselves as well as those who we encounter are, are going to be able to say, wow, I just saw a glimpse of heaven in that guy and that woman right over there. Happens one step at a time. Lastly, what I want to invite us to is that whatever is choking you spiritually, whatever is stunting your flourishing and your spiritual development, let it go. Cut it off. It might be that our zeal in Jesus is withering today. It might be that we are so fascinated with the things below that that our concentration on the things above is in a state of erosion. Maybe we are living too much in the flesh and not in the spirit. In the words of John the Baptist, he says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I close with these words this morning, the words of a writer whose name is Elizabeth Ross. And what she says is that the most beautiful people that we have ever known are those who have known defeat, who have known suffering and struggle and loss, but have found a way out of of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, they have a sensitivity, they have an understanding of life that fills them with compassion with a gentleness and with a deep concern. And then most wondrously of all, what she writes is that beautiful people don't just happen. Beautiful people don't just happen. And neither do disciples. Yet rather, disciples who bear fruit have to be crushed like grapes. And then we can start bearing that fruit and this world can see the glimpses of Jesus Christ in you and in me.